Welcome to the Locala Podcast. This is episode 46. A big part of my, uh, part of my life is um, I try to let the students know that I'm a human being. I think that's very, very important. Um, and also to share the knowledge that they have. Um, and so one of my favorite Greek, uh, Greek proverbs uh, is the importance of making society better than you then then you you have to make society better when you leave um, so the importance of my students knowing that when the knowledge that they have they have to share it with somebody else um, so the proverb goes it's uh, society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will not sit and so that's what I try to educate my students about and just making this world leave this world a better place in it Welcome to the Locala Podcast, everybody. I'm Lisa Anderson, your host and publisher of Locala Magazine. And today we have Patrick Stanley on the couch. Before we head on over to him, I do want you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button and like this channel and do all the fun things that help us to keep growing here. And so today we're going to head on over and talk some food with Patrick, who is a culinary arts instructor at Forest High School. So welcome, Patrick. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So let's go ahead and and, and ease you into this whole podcast thing and just talk about what you do um, at the school and, and um, kind of how you got into it. Well, I'm, a, I'm the culinary instructor at uh, Forest High School, and it's a program. It's a magnet program um, that has over 300 students, wow. um, and it's all four levels. I'm lucky enough in my career to... I get to have a student from when they're freshmen and sophomores and then juniors and then seniors, and I get to watch them grow within those four years. Yeah. Um, we actually even go to competitions, and just like you see on like a Master Chef or something like that, um, we do that every year. We uh, What we really focus on are getting these students um, their certifications. Okay. Uh, when you go into the service industry, you need certain certifications that they'll do during orientation. Okay. But, um, we go a little bit beyond that with our juniors and seniors. If you're a manager in a uh, restaurant, you have to have a certain certification. Okay. Um, and if the restaurant is open from 10 a.m. to 11, at all times, one person has to be has to have this certification inside that building at all times, okay. at least one person. And we get our students to acquire that certification, and they have that before they even interview for a job. That's amazing. Um, my job is to teach students a skill, whether they mm -hmm. want to do it for a lifetime, whether they want to be chefs, or whether they want to be general managers for a restaurant, um, It's a, or if they even just want to have a job while they're going through college mm -hmm. uh, to help out family, to pay tuition. It's important to – they have a – they stand out. If you have mm -hmm. a group of five applicants and then one of these students has a certification and they've never set foot in the service industry, then you're most likely going to hire them. Yeah. So that's what we really focus on. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So how did you get into it then? Uh, I lucked out. I I um, I never went to culinary school, um, which there's a couple of, you know, people think about it in different ways. Uh, culinary school is not for everyone. The majority of chefs that I know mm – -hmm. um, really successful chefs, they've never attended uh, culinary school. Yeah. The reason why they got into it is because their absolute obsession with it. Right. Um, and when you become, since curiosity is the basis of all knowledge, mm -hmm. um, if you're really curious about something, you'll the, it deepens your knowledge of that subject. Yeah. And I just 
about eight years ago, I just became absolutely obsessed with it. And I'm not talking about finding a recipe and, you know, just baking bread of a recipe. Fine. Right. I'll find a recipe and then I'll make it and then I'll see what happens if the water is two degrees hotter. Okay. Or two degrees uh, cooler, yeah. and then what type of yeast you use, what types of, and it just became this obsession. On my when I wasn't working, I was doing stuff like this, yeah. and I became a real nerd about it. <laughs> and I started off my teaching career up at uh, North Mary Middle School. I was a history teacher for a year, okay, and then I was working uh, in a restaurant during the summer, and then somebody that worked for the county was in there. And they saw me in the restaurant. They're like, have you ever thought about teaching culinary? And I was like, no, but now I am. <laughs> and so it was a long hiring process and uh, just all the interviews you had to go through and make sure you're the right fit. And I was apparently the right fit. And I've been doing it for teaching at Forest now for going on seven years. Wow. Wow. So did I take it you probably during 2020 enjoyed the shutdown to be able to experiment with more food? Oh, no, I did not. Oh, really? <laughs> because we had to teach a culinary class online. Oh, okay. And so we had to get uh, cameras and mm -hmm. it was very difficult. Um, once, once I figured out the little nuances of what I what I had to do. We had yeah. a full schedule of wow. seven cla uh, six classes, excuse me, um, of students that were in Zoom meetings, and there's only so much you can do talking about the really boring stuff when it comes to culinary, like sanitation and what's the temperature that the dishwasher needs to be at for sanitation purposes and what's the parts per million for the sanitizer in the three-compartment sink. There's yeah. only so much you can talk about. So as we were doing it, I was like, you know what? We're just going to cook. So all the kids had cameras. If they didn't have a camera, uh, the school provided one for them okay. um, and also a laptop too, which is a really, really good thing. Yeah. So we set up our cameras to where – I actually had just a bunch of these kids cooking. I put on these silly videos. We had to do an introduction video, and I don't know anything about effects or anything like mm -hmm. that. So I'm doing stuff with this video, just the program that they give you on the computer. And so I thought it was boring. And so I found a little thing that put butterflies behind me. And it looked <laughs> really, really stupid. But, you know, part of, part of being a teacher is your uh, – <laughs> How you're successful is you're not afraid to look stupid sometimes. Right. And so with these videos, uh, there's a big smiley face on the back of a cereal box. And when I had to do five minutes later, I'd put that up to the camera and be like, five minutes later. And it's just being silly. And these kids took it really, really seriously, which is, is just amazing. And when we would do it, I mean, these kids would be at home. So they had normal things going on at home. Like I had this one... A young lady whose little brother always just kept bothering her. And so, you know, you pick up the kid if he wants to know what's going on. She yeah. put him on his lap and then had class with us, you know. Oh. It's it's being understanding and making it fun, especially in that type of that type of atmosphere. Plus yeah. I'm not a person that likes I I can't stay idle for too long. Right. Um so that that was that, that was a challenge. It was yeah. a challenge. I know a lot of people, it's kind of a good segue when you say you're not really like idle because I know a lot of people might actually know you f 
from the area just mm-hmm. because of your acting that you have done. Because you have done a lot of shows at OCT. You did mm-hmm. a, a couple um, through Insomniac Theater as mm-hmm. well. So tell, talk about that part of your life. And are you still doing shows? Um, I'm still doing shows when I can. But uh, I'm older now. So I'm um, that is not my main focus. It was my main focus because if I'm not doing something artistic, then it's just... I feel like things are stagnant. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of stuff with uh, Ocala Civic Theater. I was Shrek and Shrek. I was Miss Trunchbull and Matilda. I was Lancelot and Camelot. I was uh, Jerry in the Full Monty, which is one of the greatest learning experiences that an actor could have. Um, I did with Insomniac. I did the last five years, which mm-hmm. is so vocally challenging. Um and that just being a two-person show is yeah. a challenge in, its, in, in itself. I've also done um, some professional work down at the Angel Cabaret Theater down in Tampa okay. and then up at the Hippodrome as well. Oh, very cool. So how did you get into theater? I never thought that um, I would get into something like that. My senior year, I was big in band. Okay. I was a I was a band nerd. All right. Um, I loved being a band nerd. If my kids, I, I was like, a choir nerd. So no, well, I became a choir nerd my senior year. So okay. one day, um, there was a group out at Forest High School called Forte, and that was like their show choir. Okay. And they they were like the the really the really good kids. They mm-hmm. were like, whew, you guys can you guys can sing." And so I'm packing up my stuff one day, and I'm by myself. I don't know if you're familiar familiar with Forrest, but the band room and the choir room were the same one, but they had this hallway. Okay. And I was by myself, and I was just I was I was singing for some reason. I was just singing to myself like a little Sinatra tune or something like that. And then um, the choir director uh, came out and said, "Hey, we have an issue because you hear me singing." And then he said, uh, "Would you?" mind filling in for this spot for this young man that got sick. And so I was like, "Mm, I don't know. So I was all (laughs) scared and nervous. And um, I said, yeah. And then they put me in choir. And I was only in choir from January, my senior year. Okay. And then we did competitions and uh, state competitions and stuff like that in March. And that's how I started singing. And then I ended up getting a scholarship to variations directed by Don Tyler at CF. Um, And so I did that. And then that was a show choir. So it was just like a mishmash, like a bunch of people up there dancing and singing for two hours. Just, all right, we'll give you two lines of this song, two lines of that song. And I did a song in there called Nothing Like a Dame from South Pacific. And I was with my good friend at the time. His name was David Wallace. He's moved up north since, uh, since now. And we heard that Ocala Civic Theater was doing um, um, South Pacific. Mm-hmm. And so we all get excited. We're just like, wow, this is going to be, let's do South Pacific. That yeah. song's from South Pacific. Let's sing Not Like a Dame together as a bunch of sailors. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so we were really excited. And so we went and auditioned. And I've never been to an audition before in my life. And I didn't know what to expect. And then... We got our songs ready, and then they read us, and I've never acted before a day in my life. And then all of a sudden, they offer me a part, uh, a supporting role, uh, Lieutenant Cable. That's uh, the young Marine. Yeah. Um, that was more Marine-esque uh, <laughs> back in those younger days. But um, but the thing is, my character, all I, all I wanted to do was uh, sing Nothing Like a Dame with Dave. Okay. And 
my character, and you had this big old production of Nothing Like a Dame. At the very last note, the button of the of Nothing Like a Dame, somebody walks in and then interrupts the whole thing and is like, get back to work. And that was me. So I didn't get to noodle Nothing Aww. Like a Dame. So <laughs> that's I, was, a I was very disappointed. Very disappointed. Because that's all we wanted to do. But that was my that was my start. Uh, Lieutenant Cable in South Pacific at OCT. And then just kept doing show after show, as young people have a tendency to do, because um, you have fun in one show, you want to do the next. You right. Do the next, you want to do the next. So when you're younger, you're trying to do every single show possible. Yeah. And you'll work your schedule around that. But now when you get older and have a career, <laughs> that, that it gets, slows gets, down a little bit, doesn't slows, it? <laughs> slows down a lot. Those evening hours don't seem quite as fun anymore. I remember anymore. doing five shows in a year. <laughs> and then now I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I have time to time to do one and, yeah <laughs> you know but <laughs> I, I love it I'll, I'll do it for the rest of my life yeah i mean if they allow me to yeah um, <laughs> anywhere anytime be like hey go sing this song in a park okay fine oh right, that's cool <laughs> so um if you went to forest then yourself um are you born in this area were you originally um, from this area no i'm actually uh from woodbury new jersey i moved down here very very young um so uh my family first moved down here uh, to Eureka, oh, right outside of Fort McCoy. Okay, um, and again, I was very young, so I'm a, a northerner that's been raised in the south. <laughs> um, but we we lived in Eureka, my mother and father, and then my grandmother came down with us as well, and then we moved to Silver Springs. Okay. And then eventually my um, father opened up his own uh, flower shop. He was a florist. Very cool. And you had no desire to be a florist after him? No. My older brother, Greg, (laughs) he still does. uh, He lives out in Austin, Texas, and he's very talented and very artistic uh, when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. I have two brothers. Uh, Greg, he's artistic when it comes to that type of stuff. Um, Nick, uh, he's he's very artistic, even though he doesn't like to admit it. but he's a very talented dude too, and I don't know. Um, he he just moved from Austin to uh, North Carolina with his wife Kim, and they're just living their best life right now. Oh, that's fantastic! So, where do you fall as far as age wise between your brothers? I'm the middle. You're the oh, you're the trouble so child. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, maybe. Um, well, <laughs> trouble, I don't know what you mean. One time I shot my brother in a butt with a BB gun that I put a screw in. Trouble. So, trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I'm the middle child. Yeah. Being a, being a middle child, I mean, they've written books on just being a middle child. <laughs> and, you know, growing up, my older brother would give me his hand-me-down clothes. And I didn't want to wear my brother's clothes. And by the time I got through them, uh, we couldn't hand them down to the younger brother because they were too torn and tattered. Yeah. So Greg got the new stuff, and then Nick got the new stuff, and I always got Greg's hand-me-downs. And, you know, it's <laughs> being, being being the middle child is rough. Yeah. <laughs> so if all of you are artistic, was there, uh, other than your dad being a florist, was there a lot of um, artistic influence in your family? Um, just... Just my dad was a really, really good piano player. Okay. Um, and so growing up, we lived in a household that was uh, filled with, you know, uh, musicals like Guys and Dolls and The Music Man and Sinatra. And my bet, my dad's big thing was uh, Motown. Mm-hmm. I, I just remember the house being filled with, you know, every Motown singer you can possibly think of. The Four Tops and Diana Ross was his absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. He has, he he loved her so much that he commissioned an artist to 
paint this painting, and it's a big, glorious painting of Diane Ross. Oh, wow. And even on her dress has, like, puffy paint. And it was done in 1986. And I don't know how that I ended up with it after my father passed away because he mm-hmm. passed away when I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Um, but I still have it, and it still hangs in my hallway to this day. Oh, and wow. And it's such a conversation piece. People are like, that's strange, weird, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> um, the musical influence is just constantly listening to uh, mainly Diana Ross. Yeah. I mean, every, every single song I could hopefully am. I was going to go see her last year, but... Hopefully I get to see her before she gets two months older. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, did you, what instrument did you play in band then? Trombone. Trombone. Yeah. Do you still play? Um, when I can. Yeah. Um, I play, I've actually played a couple of times in the Ocala Civic Theater uh, Orchestra. Oh, very cool. Um, so that's that's an awesome thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, um, th- I've been talking to certain people, but I have to talk to the right people. Um Maybe if they're watching, uh, I'd like to be a part of the Kingdom of the Sun band just so I can keep playing, yeah. and on a regular basis. I have my, uh, I have my trombone. It was, it was actually gifted to me. So when I started um, playing at the Ocala Civic Theater, I couldn't afford my own. Okay. And so there's this gentleman. His name's Daryl Riley. He recently passed away, mm. and. Uh, he called me one day and he goes, "Hey, I hear you're." Uh, I'm gonna play, gonna play an orchestra, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he called his trombone Betsy, and he's like, you want to use Betsy? And I was like, no, nah, I can't do that. I was like, I'll rent it off you. He's like, no, no, no. So he lent it to me to play mm-hmm. an orchestra. I took very good care of it, uh, like it was my child. Um, and so. I gave it back to him. Then a year later, I did another orchestra, and he would call me up. He's like, you want to use Betsy before I even would say anything? Yeah. Use it again and again and again, and it just became a thing with us. Um, but recently, he did he did pass away, and Jenny Riley, who is just a wonderful woman, she uh, we were sitting in her house one day, and she, she gifted it to me, Aww. the trombone. So I have not only a trombone that I have, but I have my favorite one. Oh, that's and fantastic. And so, yeah, so it has a lot of history to it. Yeah, I was going to say, what a great piece. So you got a couple of conversation pieces going for oh, you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love that's it. that's great. <laughs> I love it. So let's, let's drive back into food a little bit. What mm-hmm. is your favorite thing to prepare? What's your favorite thing about working with food? Um, uh, cooking is artistic in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think art is anything that moves somebody. Yeah. Um, when you cook for somebody, you look for three things, and... It's something that people have to do on a regular basis or, you know, like doesn't exist. Right. And so if they enjoy it, it's something else. So you look for three things when you're a chef. You either look for when they take their first bite, they do a deep breath, they go, or they do, uh, they'll actually say a curse word <laughs> that is so good, or that they will actually do uh, the little shoulder shimmy that they don't realize that they do. When they take a first bite, they do this. Yeah. <laughs> they, they do that. So that's what you look for. Um, it's, again, it's artistic. The thing about um, being artistic in food, it's like you can still do stuff that nobody's done before. Yeah. And there are just so many brilliant chefs out there. Uh, like there's this, um, I forgot his name. Um, he's up in Chicago and he has this restaurant and he has, he is a, you know, one of those Michelin star restaurants to yeah. where one of his desserts is actually a balloon made of sugar. 
Oh, wow. And you actually inhale the air so that he just stimulates all your senses because at one point he uh, lost his sense of smell. Oh. And so, like, stuff like that, like, really, the really artistic stuff. So it lends itself for you to be artistic. Yeah. I recently did a... uh, I recently did a party um, where I made three different types of bread. I made a sweet bread. I made a uh, uh, a baguette, and then I made um, like a Tuscan type bread. But I made different types of butters. And one of the one of the things about it, I got a jar and I filled it with duck fat, with thyme and garlic, and then I made that into a candle. Oh. So when you lit the candle, you took your bread and you actually dipped it inside of the candle. Oh, so wow. it just allows – I've seen that somewhere before. I'm not yeah. going to take a <laughs> – you know, that, that's not 100% my idea. But um, the creativity yeah. is why I got into it, and I love it. And it's such such a tender – is the right word I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain ingredients that you cook with that they need to be taken care of. If you don't take care of, they'll turn on you just like that. Yeah. Um, which uh, eggs being one of the most delicate mm-hmm. things that you can cook with. You know, if you ever see a chef hat, yes. that's, called a, uh, that's called a torque blanche. Okay. Um, and they have different folds. They have exactly 100 folds in their hat. Oh. And that's an old French thing. And the tradition is the, the person wearing that hat, which is the executive chef, wears one that eight, that's 18 inches tall, has 100 folds. Each fold represents the different ways that they can cook an egg. Wow, that I did not know. Thank mm-hmm. you for that tidbit of information. Yep, so that's <laughs> the one with the really tall hat. That's the executive chef. And, okay. you know, like, again, the reason why that is is because they're so delicate and so hard to yeah. work with. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't even know there was that many ways to cook an egg. <laughs> well, and that, now it's like the 100 different recipes that you know. Okay. Uh, not, uh, but the old, old old tradition is uh, like 100 ways you can cook an egg. Wow, that's amazing. Um, do you ever find yourself on like in shorts or TikToks or anything like that where you're watching the artists create like all the different, especially the confectionery art that they do. Oh, 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 yeah, absolutely. There's this one baker. I'm not, I'm not really good with names. He's young guy, dark hair, but he create. He does this. Uh, he's a chocolatier, and he just creates these. He'll build build a dragon the size of this. Yes, room. I think we're thinking of the same he person. I can't think of his name. Either. Yeah, and that <laughs> amount of talent. It's crazy. And just the amount of time that he put practicing that. Because what makes a good chef is doing stuff over and over and mm-hmm. over again till you get to the point to uh, where you can educate other people. Which I think uh, chefs are educators. Yeah. And that's when you become a chef is when you have the ability to take what you know and then mm-hmm. teach it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. But that that dude is. I, he crazy. did a he did a like. A dumbbell set for the rock and <laughs> it was know. insane it's they crazy. put it next to they put the two 45 plant plates next to each other and you couldn't even tell that yeah the guy is nuts I, and, i'm watching this time lapse and you're seeing all the work that's going into it and you know you're only getting a glimpse of all the yeah. work that actually goes into it and then at the end he'll crack it and take a bite and be like yum and i'm like no don't do it don't do it <laughs> out of time already, Patrick. See, oh, right. that podcast was easy, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> so is there anything else that you were thinking maybe you wanted to talk about that, that I didn't touch on yet today? Well, um, I'm I'm an educator. A big part of my, uh, part of my life is um, I try to let the students know that I'm a human being. I think mm-hmm. that's very, very important. Um, and also to share the knowledge that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so one of my favorite Greek, uh, Greek proverbs uh, is the importance of making society better than you then, then you you have to make society better when you leave. Yeah. Um, so the importance of my students knowing that when the knowledge that they have, they have to share it with somebody else. Yeah. Um, so the proverb goes, it's uh, society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will not sit. Mm. And so that's what I try to educate my students about and just making this world, mm. leave this world a better place in it. Oh, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining well, thank us. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation and getting to know a little bit more about you. Well, thank you very, very much. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Locala podcast. Once again, I'm Lisa Anderson. We've been talking with Patrick Stanley, and you can find his story in our August issue, and we'll put a link in the description, and we'll also go ahead and try to link to the culinary um, student program for you at Forest High School, so you can take a look at that if um, you have any students that are interested, and I think they might start doing some catering pretty soon, too. So um, we'll go ahead and link to all of that in the description. Thank you again for joining us here, where we focus on connections through stories. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Locala Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead, like, share, and download. Your support is truly appreciated.